Good to see everybody this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 is where we're going to take a look at this morning. And the title of the lesson is, If You're Okay, I'm Okay. In 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul is expressing his concern for the brethren there. And we're going to take a look at chapter 3 particularly. And a close relationship had uh, developed between the church uh, at Thessalonica and with Paul. And one of the reasons why I wanted to preach this lesson before we get too much further along in the book of Acts is because oftentimes, whenever we think about Acts 17th chapter, when we think about Thessalonica, we say, now those of Berea were more noble than those of Thessalonica. And what that's actually talking about is some part of that, but it doesn't really acknowledge those that were faithful had been converted and the good church that was started there in Thessalonica on that second missionary journey. So, a close relationship that had developed between Paul and those brethren. And I'm going to read, we're going to First Thessalonians chapter 3 uh, in just a moment, but I'm going to read First Thessalonians chapter 2, 7 through 12, because that really sets the tone for this letter. You know, nowadays, oftentimes, we use text messaging all the time, right? And you send someone a, a message and then you say, well, somehow the tone got lost. <laughs> and so... I want us to notice 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 7 through 12 because I really believe that sets the tone for this letter and helps us to understand what Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. But before I read that, I just want to, well, I'll go ahead and say this. There's three points that we're going to take a look at. There's comfort in crisis. There's going to be gratitude towards God and then prayer for one another. And that's 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 10. So I'll just go ahead and put that first point up there, comfort in crisis. Now then, let me ask you this question. I'm sure this has probably happened to you. There's someone that you really love, you really care for, but you're concerned about. You ever been there? I think we've probably all been there at one time or another, haven't we? And so, as you take a look at what Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 7-12, through 12, he's really kind of setting that tone. And in essence, what he's saying is, if I know, if I know you're okay, then I'm okay. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm going to read starting at verse... At, um, Get the right book on the second Thessalonians. Verse 7. First Thessalonians 2, verse 7. This is talking about when Paul was there with them. He says, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were pleased to impart to you not only the gospel. Of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and our toil, for laboring night and day, that we not, might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. 
that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Can you hear what Paul said? When we were with you, we not only shared the gospel with you, we shared ourselves with you. We wanted you to know how much we loved you, how much we were concerned about you. Like a mother that is nursing a child, like a father that is encouraging and directing his children. He said that's the way we behaved. And we weren't a burden to any of you. We worked with our own hands. We didn't want to. We want you to know we were there just for you. So this is Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica. It was probably written from Corinth in the early 50s. We talked a little bit about that this morning in class. And Paul and Silas and Timothy had gone to Thessalonica on that second missionary journey. That's when they had preached the gospel. That's when a church was established there. But Paul didn't get to stay there nearly as long as he wanted to. He was forced out of that city. And so he had to move on. And he went to Berea. And then he went to Athens. And then eventually he went to Corinth. But from Athens, he's going to say, when it got to the point, I just couldn't stand it anymore. I had to send Timothy. I needed to know how you're doing. I want to know, are you okay? Because if you're okay, I'm okay. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 1 through 5. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it has happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. See what Paul's saying? I got ripped away from you. And I've moved on to various cities. I've gone all the way to Athens. And I'm concerned about you. And so I'm sending Timothy back to find out how you're doing and to encourage you. And Paul's going to be moving on to Corinth. But I needed to know how you were getting along. If you were doing okay. And he says when we brought the good news to you, we also told you there was going to be troubles. And there was troubles even while they were there. And so Paul is reminding him of that. Just because you come to a Christian doesn't mean things that are all going to be, what Brian say, raindrops on roses. <laughs> it's not all sunshine and rainbows, is it? And he said, we told you. And it turned out that's just the way it is. But I needed to know. What I needed to know in the midst of all that, are you still hanging in there? Are you still okay? For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to you, sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. But now, listen to what he says. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, 
greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in our in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. What's that sound like? Paul is saying, 1 Thessalonians 2, when we were among you, it was like a mother and a child. It was like a father and his children. And we didn't just share the gospel with you. We shared ourselves with you. We wanted you to know how much we cared for you, how much we loved you. Being ripped away from you, I couldn't stand it. And I needed to know, were you okay? And so that's the reason why I sent Timothy. And now Timothy's come back and he's telling me it's good. And I'm so relieved. Now I want to pause right there for just one second. Who brought the gospel to these folks? Paul did. Timothy, Tylus, or Silas with him. Spiritual leadership. Teaching them. Leading them, guiding them. You know what we just read? You just read the essence of spiritual leadership. It's what you just read. That's the way that works. See, sometimes men get confused about spiritual leadership. And they think it's about power. And what Paul is saying is, no, it's not about power. It's about relationship. And this is the way we were when we were among you. We were like a mother. We were like a father. We shared ourselves with you. And we were no burden to you. We worked so that we wouldn't be a burden to you. That's love, that's concern, that's service for them. That's spiritual leadership. It's not about power. It's about relationship. It's about being humble. You've been privileged to serve. It's about being loving. Let me give you a quick illustration. We've probably all at one time or another been familiar with this, seen this. Maybe we've seen it on TV. Maybe we saw it in a movie. There's been movies made about it. There's a single parent and has a child and they remarry. And now there's a step-parent. And there's going to be a relationship between that step-parent and that child. So how does it work when that step-parent then tells that child without ever developing any relationship, this is the way it is in this house and this is the what you will do. How's that work out? That's a recipe for rebellion, isn't it? What if that same parent says, I know you're going through challenging times. You're facing difficulties. I'm here with you. 
I want to support you. I want you to know I love you. I want you to know I'm willing to sacrifice for you. You think there might be a relationship, Phil? I think so. In a positive way. And that's what Paul's saying. When we were with you, it's like a mother and a child. When we were with you, it's like a father trying to comfort and encourage his children. And now I'm in Athens and I'm sending Timothy because I can't take it. I got to know. And if you're okay, I'm okay. So let me give you another illustration to go along with that. Maybe this is one you're familiar with too. There's a single mother and she has raised a child and she has struggled financially because she's stuck in a low-paying job. She's also suffered with chronic health issues. But this child is finally old enough to go off to college and she's doing everything to make sure he gets to go. And someday she wonders how she's going to make it financially, how she's going to take it physically. But she wants to give that child an opportunity for something better. And then, at the end of the first semester, she gets a letter. And that child says, it's all good. Things are going great. I appreciate the opportunity that you're giving me. And then they enclose their report card. Keep smiling, it's good. (laughs) It's all A's. And now she realizes he's good, I'm good. I face challenges. It's okay. That's what Paul is saying. That's the tone of 1 Thessalonians. So in verses 6 and 7, it says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we are comforted concerning your faith. What's Paul saying? You fight the good fight. We fight the good fight. I know you're okay and you're still fighting. And you know what? That lifts me up. I'm going to stay in the fight. You know, when we read this, on either side, Thessalonica or on Paul's side, that's worthy of imitation. They didn't allow external difficulties to shift their focus or alter their feelings or endanger their faith, because that's what it says. We were thinking about you and Timothy comes back and he says, you're thinking about us. (laughs) And you're still committed to the Lord. 
And we are too. So our focus is the same. And we are sharing in this struggle. And that's good. You know, as you read the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapters 1 through 3 is really thankfulness for faithfulness. And then chapters 4 and 5, Paul's going to talk about the things that he wants to add to their faith. So that they might keep growing. But his concerns are quieted as he hears this good news. Concern becomes confidence. So let's use the illustration from the child going off to college again. In the first semester, things are good. Grades are good. Okay, come on. (laughs) No. You stay there. You hang in there. Why? Because you've not yet attained your goal. Right? See, sometimes folks will read 1 Thessalonians 1 through 3 and there's this thankfulness for faithfulness and they go to chapters 4 and 5 and they go, well, yeah, they're doing pretty good, but you know what? You still lack a lot. That's not what that's saying. Now think about that. If it's the end of the first semester and you've done really well, what are you trying to achieve? There's a goal. So what's Paul saying in chapters 4 and 5? Hang in there. That's what he's saying. And there's some other things you'll learn and it'll help you to grow. That's 4 and 5. We taught you certain things. Obviously, you're applying those things. And that's great. And now there's some other things I want to help you with. He's going to talk about that in just a moment in verse 10. But he says in verse 7, In our afflictions, we were comforted. And so Paul's honest about where he is and what he's dealing with. And where he's been. And how this has helped. So let me ask you. You ever been there? You find out. Somebody else is doing good. And it's an encouragement to you. But if you find out they've given up. What's that do to you? Paul says we were comforted. In our affliction. Because of you. So Paul's being transparent and he's showing that he has struggled and that he's been down. But this good news has lifted him up. Read over in 2 Corinthians 11 chapter when you have an occasion. And he will talk about all the things that he went through. Being beaten and being shipwrecked. And then he'll add to that, I have concern for all the churches. And but now, he receives good news. And that lifts him up. Because you're holding on, I can hold on. So what's the point? 
Point is, Christians need encouraging, do they not? <laughs> Preachers need encouraging, right? Teachers need encouraging, right? We all need encouragement. But what's the other point? And we need to get this clear. Both of them are dealing with issues. And you see that? It's not like one is living the perfect life and the other one is struggling with these issues. What Paul is saying is you're struggling with issues and we're struggling with issues. So there's comfort in crisis. So I'll ask you another question to go along with that. Anybody here this morning leading just an absolute trouble-free life? I don't think anybody's going to raise their hand. It's like we all have issues. Just different issues, isn't it? And so I encourage you. And you encourage me. And that's what Paul's saying. I was concerned. I love you. I couldn't take it anymore. I need to know. So I sent Timothy and he comes back and he says, you're still in the fight. He doesn't come back and say, oh, it's all good in Thessalonica. There are no problems in Thessalonica whatsoever. That's not what he says. He comes back and says, they're in the fight. Paul's like, if they're good, I'm good. If you're fighting, I'm fighting. That's the way it is, isn't it? So there's gratitude towards God. Verses 8 and 9. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. Do you hear what he's saying? What thanks can we render to God for you? Do I know the other way to say that? I just can't tell you how much this means to me. Have you ever said that to somebody? <laughs> Something they do for you, or maybe they do for your child, or your spouse, or whoever it might be. And then you tell them. I just can't, words say, I just can't tell you how much that means to me. And that's what Paul said. How do we render thanks to God? So use your imagination for just a moment. They're back at Thessalonica. Paul has sent Timothy from Athens and he's moved on to Corinth. Do you ever think that Paul sometimes sat alone by himself and he just thought about the things that they had been through and the things that he had done and the people that he had taught and he tells them in the second chapter how much that they had loved them do you ever think he just sat with his head in his hands sometimes 
I wonder how they're doing. You ever been there? <laughs> Worried about somebody? If I could just know they're okay, then I'd be okay. Have you ever had the feeling, I'm just existing? I'm not really living. You had that feeling? Seems like the whole world is on your shoulders. But in verses 8 and 9, he says, Now we live. I'm no longer just existing. Now I'm living. Why? Because I know you're still in the fight. I know you're okay. And that changes his whole attitude. And so then he says, how do I adequately express what this means to me? That's what he's saying. How do we render thanks to God for you? Now I'm no longer just existing. Now I'm living. Now I'm inspired. Now I can face my challenges. Because I know you're facing yours. So let me ask you. Isn't that the way it is? Isn't it? When you come here on Sunday morning, isn't it? There's brother so-and-so. There's sister so-and-so. I know they're facing some challenges. But you know what? They're still in the fight. They're here. <laughs> you know what I'm and they see you and you see them and it's like, still in the fight, right? <laughs> yeah, still in the fight. Sometimes we get to thinking like, oh, I'm just showing up. <laughs> and does it matter? Yeah, it matters. It matters a lot. It matters a lot. Because people face challenges. That's why I asked earlier. Anybody here just living a carefree life? No, we've all got challenges. No. But you come here and we assemble and it's like, we remember the Lord. We sing praise. We pray. And we're still in the fight. It's an encouragement. Because people face challenges with kids, spouses, brothers and sisters jobs but you know what if you're still in the fight if you're okay I'm okay we keep going so let me say this verse 10 night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Perfect. Complete. Bring to maturity. Now let's use the college illustration again. First semester's over. <laughs> You've done real well. Do you still have some things to accomplish? Yeah, you do. Yeah. Because if you're ever going to be that doctor, if you're ever going to be that lawyer, if you're ever going to be that engineer, if you're ever going to be that teacher, whatever it is, you're going to have to fight the fight. 
and you're well on your way. But if you're going to get to where you want to go, you're going to have to continue to fight. That's what Paul is saying in verse 10. There's some things that I want to add to perfect your faith. It's not like they're insufficient. He's just saying you keep growing. There's a goal that you're working towards. You know what that means? Does he say that I want to perfect your life? No, you keep going, and then one of these days, you know what's going to happen? You're just going to have the perfect life. It'll all be good. It will be rain, uh, uh, raindrops on roses. And you just sail on through the rest of life, and then you go to heaven. Is that what he said? Is that what he's talking about? That's not what he's talking about. He said, I'm going to perfect your faith. Do you know what he's saying? We're not looking for the perfect life. We're looking for the perfect faith. Can you see that? That's what I said. I want to complete your faith. I want to tell you about other things. Because you face these challenges, and if you know these things, it will help you through those challenges. And there's some other things that you need to know about that I'm going to tell you about that when you face those challenges, it'll help you through it. So I'm not going to perfect your life. I want to perfect your faith. You know what some of the things are that the latter part of this book he's going to talk about? (laughs) People who have died. And they're looking for the second coming. Wait a minute. (laughs) Jesus was supposed to come back. He didn't show up. And this person died. What's up with that? And now what's going to happen to them? And so Paul talked about you need to know about that. So that that won't destroy your faith. You need to know about the second coming. And hey, some of you folks that are expecting Jesus to show up any day now and you've decided that it's a good thing to just quit working. That's not a good idea. He didn't tell you exactly when he was coming back. So until that time, keep working. Keep going to work. (laughs) Can't have a perfect faith. You just say, well, I'm going to sit back and just rest. (laughs) So there's other things he's going to deal with. Can we see that? He's not looking for the perfect life. He's looking for the perfect faith. And so then in verse 8, he says, We live if you stand fast in the Lord. That word stand, it's a military term. It's for an army that is holding ground while they're under attack. And so what Paul's saying is new ground had been gained in Thessalonica when we came there and preached the gospel. But just because we gained new ground for the Lord, do you think the enemy's just going to give up on it? <laughs> no, they're going to attack you. That enemy wants that ground back. I'll give you another illustration. During World War II, it was dark days for the nation of England. Germany had started sending 
bombers, bombing raids into English cities. Essentially what they were doing was softening them up. The German army was getting poised. They were getting ready to invade. Churchill knew that. And he knew that if there was if there was any chance of survival, they were going to have to fight for the ground they were holding. So in that famous radio address, I won't repeat the entire thing, just one sentence from it. He essentially says, we will fight. And he says, we will never, 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 Give up. That rallies the troops. And so, what Paul says, we live because you stand fast in the Lord. You haven't given up. So you never give up. It's not the perfect life that we seek. It's the perfect faith is what we pursue. So in verse 9, he says that he is thankful to God and he is filled with joy because they stand. And I think that's important that we recognize that because Paul's not saying, hey, look, you know, I came there and Timothy and Silas, they they came with me and the reason why you're even there is because of us. (laughs) No, what he's saying is, the honor, the glory belongs to God. And he says, what thanks can we render? How do we thank God enough for this? It's his plan. It's his son. It was his sacrifice. It was his grace. It was his providence that even brought us together. We're just instruments through which he works. And now you're instruments through which he works. And so there's two things. We owe God a debt of gratitude for the relationship that we have with him. And we owe him a debt of gratitude for the relationship that we have with one another. But the other thing is, we learn to praise God for his continual presence with others when we're absent. There may be times when we can't be together. But there is never a time when God leaves you. Or He leaves me. So we give thanks to God for all the great things that He does and He has done in His doing. And for every resource that He provides, for every duty that He gives us so that we can participate. So there's comfort in crisis and then there's gratitude towards God and then there's thirdly prayer for one another. Verse 9, For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? Night and day praying exceedingly 
that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. So it's Paul's gratitude that then leads to this prayer for them. And many commentators say there's a grammatical connection between verses 9 and 10. And that seems kind of obvious to me. But Paul states his feeling inadequate in thanking God for all that He's done, that He's doing with them and in them and through them, and what He's saying is God deserves more praise, and that our prayers should never, never cease. And Paul says, verse 10, we prayed exceedingly. And he was putting forth every effort to come back to them, to be with them. So there's two things that we want to recognize there. Paul's thankful for their fellowship. We oftentimes talk about fellowship, right? And that's a sharing in common. That's what fellowship is. We share that common faith. We share a common Savior. We share a common struggle. But there's something else that we've got to recognize there. It's fellowship and it's discipleship. And as disciples, you never stop growing. That's what Paul's saying. You just never stop. I want to help supply what is lacking in your faith. I want to help you to grow, is what he is saying. It's an unfinished faith. So let me give you another illustration. A lot of illustrations today, right? So a young boy about middle school age or so, he had bought this like sports puzzle was excited about it, wanted to put it together, display it in his room and all this kind of thing. He opened it up, poured it all out, and he had worked on it for a while, wasn't making much progress. And his father could tell he was getting discouraged, frustrated with all this was a big challenge. And so he came up to him, laid his hand on his shoulder, and he said, son, let me tell you something. First of all, I'm not going to do that puzzle for you. I want to tell you that. But I'm going to give you a little hint on how to do that puzzle. Maybe some things that can help. He said, first of all, what I want you to do is I want you to count all the pieces. Because if the box says there's this many pieces, you want to know if you've got all the pieces. Because you can't have a puzzle, a picture complete, unless you've got all the pieces. <laughs> so first thing I want you to do is I want you to count the pieces. Are they all there? And then once you're satisfied they're all there, this is the next thing I want you to do. He said, I want you to find the corners. Do the corners. He goes, then fill in the rest of the board. Frame it. He goes, then fill in the middle. That's pretty good advice. It's pretty good advice for putting puzzles together. It's pretty good advice spiritually. So if Paul says, I want to help perfect, complete your faith, what I'm going to ask is, do we have all the pieces? <laughs> and yeah, we do. Peter says so over First Peter or Second Peter chapter one. 
that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Paul told Timothy the same thing. That all the scripture is inspired in God's for profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God might be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You have everything you need. But you know something else you need? James tells us something else we need. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, and let patience have its perfect result, that you might be made complete. Lacking in nothing. He gives you all the pieces. He gives you an opportunity to apply it so that you can come to maturity. And once again, what are we working towards? Is it the perfect life or the perfect faith? So you want to see the completed picture? It's found in Romans 8, verse 29. Remember that one? For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What's that picture look like? What it looks like? It looks like Jesus Christ. That's what we see. To be like Him. Sometimes we get to thinking we're seeking the perfect life. And if Christianity doesn't deliver the perfect life, then we want to throw up our hands and quit. (laughs) And Paul says that was never the goal to begin with. It's not the perfect life, it's the perfect faith. That's what God wants. So that no matter what life throws at you, You can stand. And Paul says, we live because you stand. Read the first part of 1 Thessalonians. And Paul will tell them about election. He'll tell them about God. He'll tell them about Jesus. He'll tell them about the Holy Spirit. He'll tell them about the enemy. He'll tell them about love. He'll tell them about prayer. He'll tell them about suffering. He'll tell them about service. He'll tell them about praise. But when he comes to chapter 3 and verse 10, he says, there's some other things I want to tell you about. (laughs) Not that you're not doing well. Not that you haven't completed the first semester. (laughs) It's that if you're ever going to reach your goal, some other things you need to know. That's what he's saying. So what was Paul doing? He was sharing his love and concern for them. If you're okay, I'm okay. I just want to know. But he's also sharing his assessment. This is where you are, and I still want you to grow even more. Actually, Paul shows a lot of spiritual maturity to be thankful for these people and concerned for these people and for their condition and to remain prayerful for them, not just to move on going, well, outside, out of mind. That's not what he's saying. He was not concerned for you. And so he said, I needed to know. So he prays for them, just as we should. 
Pray for the strong. Pray for the weak. Pray for the well. Pray for the sick. Pray for those who are standing. Pray for those who have fallen. And praise God for His intervention. And pray that He'll do it again. It's an amazing letter. It's love and it's relationship. It's thankfulness and it's encouragement to keep growing. And it's praise to God for making it all possible. It's not the perfect life. It's the perfect faith. And Paul says, if you're okay, I'm okay. That's 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 through 10. Go extend the invitation this morning to all that are here. If you've never rendered obedience out of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we would encourage you to do that even this very day. Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. If you're a child of God and you're not still in the fight, we encourage you to get back in and that we should look to one another and seek to encourage one another and know that if you're okay, I'm okay. The invitation's yours while together we stand, while we sing.